Let me ask you something. What percentage of your revenue comes from email? If it's less than 20%, then you may well be leaving money on the table. With my brand, newbrew.com, 20% of our revenue is driven by email. Why? Because I myself got out of the way and let the email experts handle it. You see, with previous brands, email was often an afterthought, right? I would rely on sales, email sales, 20% off today, 15% off today, and rarely spared the time to do it properly. You know, split testing subject lines, keeping the list hygiene high, nurturing our sending reputation, and figuring out the ways to engage our list and drive sales without doing sales or discounts or scarcity just by engaging them. So who are these experts? Well, in our case, they're a fantastic agency from Canada called And Bam, a fantastic name by the way. And they've literally helped hundreds of brand owners, many of whom have been on this very show, generate consistently high revenue from email. Right now, AmBam are offering free account audits to Smarter Destiny listeners. They'll go through your email account in detail and make personalized recommendations to boost your email sales. If you then want to take the leap and work with them, then I highly recommend you do so, but you don't need to. Head to smarterdestiny.com BAM and book a call. I highly recommend it. picture of Clint Eastwood holding up his bottle preacher with a big smile on his face. And so I had that picture and I said, you know, Clint Eastwood loves this thing. What do you think? Do you think your dad or your brother or your boyfriend would love it too? And she's like, oh, absolutely. They freak out over this thing. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet, explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast, where this time we have my friend Eli Crane on the show. Eli is the founder and CEO of BottleBreacher.com, a seven-figure business that is badass. We're going to get into why in a minute, but I'm just going to leave that hanging. It has been featured and successfully so on the hit show Shark Tank, where both Mark Cuban and Kevin O'Leary decided that it was awesome enough for them to invest and become a small part of BottleBreach.com, which is amazing. It's also been ranked in Forbes's top 25 veteran small businesses in the US. And you, if you look at any of their videos like I have, you will absolutely begin to understand why, but I'm not gonna spoil it. We're gonna get into it in the show. Eli is an absolute legend. He's been referred by another one of the guests that we've had on the show. So I know he's absolutely badass and he comes highly recommended. So without further ado, let's welcome him to the show. Eli, how's it going? Going great, brother. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. Whereabouts in the world are you right now? I am in uh, Tucson, Arizona. And is it lovely and hot in Tucson, Arizona right now, or are you having a rare cold spell? We're having a little bit of a cold spell, but I don't think most of the world would consider it too cold. You know what I mean? <laughs> is it just like maybe wear a long sleeve t-shirt, that sort of that sort of weather, right? Yeah, okay. okay. That's right. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so the way we like to do things on this show is we go back to a point of friction, a point of turmoil, a point of uh, of change and transition in your past. Really, we're we're focusing in on the time where you went from um, having a boss to being a boss, from not being an entrepreneur to being an entrepreneur. But I think it's important in today's show to 
um, illustrate to the audience where you came from before that point of transition as well. So I think it's really, really important to the story. If you've got those kind of um, points in mind, could you tell us about that time and maybe paint as a word picture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I We've got a pretty cool story like a lot of entrepreneurs do. Um, I was actually in the United States Navy, like your other um, guest that recommended me to come on the show. I, I was also a Navy and uh, I was uh, serving out my final years in the SEAL teams and I was given the opportunity to come and be a part of uh, a business called Acumen Performance Group. Um, you guys can go look them up. They're a really cool business. Um, and they uh, took the skills um, and the mental toughness and all the, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff we were doing in the SEAL teams, they kind of watered it down a little bit. So it wasn't as physically brutal, um, but they bottled it up and they started um, selling it and uh, using that information and those techniques to really help, you know, high performance athletes like college and professional sporting teams, um, along with corporate corporate groups who wanted to get a, you know, do some team building, some mental toughness, um, you know, those types of uh, things. And uh, so that's acumenperformancegroup.com for those that want to go look them up. And they asked me if I wanted to come on as they were starting this up and be a partner in that startup. And I did. And that's where I caught the entrepreneurial bug. You know, I, uh, I just loved, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Honestly, I never thought I was smart enough to do it. You know, I thought that business owners were, you know, guys and gals that got the best grades in school and, you know, um, you know, had these pedigrees and, you know, that went on and on and on in academia. And uh, what I what I realized is these guys offered me the opportunity to come on board and start this up with them is that, you know, if you have a little bit of street smarts, you have some leadership abilities um, and, and you're able to work in a team you know, you're, you're, you've got a pretty good foundation right there to be an, a good entrepreneur. And I had those things. And so as, as we started working on this thing and I started to realize, even though we weren't making, you know, money right off the bat, I, I started to realize that the sky was the limit for what was possible. And that for somebody like me that likes to go big and likes to take chances, you know, that just really, you know, nourished me. It really fired me up and, um, I got excited about it. And so a couple of years after that, start, after we were working in that startup, I got some good experience. I definitely learned some things that, you know, we were doing that weren't working well. Um, and uh, I got the opportunity to start another small business on the side out of my one car garage in uh, San Diego, California. And um, my little brother had given me back in 2009, he'd given me a 50 cal bottle opener that he got from the Philippines and all my buddies that came over to have beers and just hang out or watch a UFC fight or a football game or whatever it was. Um, we I'd open beers with this 50 caliber bottle opener and they would freak out cause they'd never seen one before. And they were like, dude, that's awesome. Where can I get one? Um, and so I was like, well, you know, he got in the Philippines. I've never seen it in the States. So I, you know, I guess if you go on a deployment there, you can pick one up. And a couple of years later, I was like, you know what, I'm around 50 cal ammo all the time because I'm a SEAL. And, you know, we use that gun all the time for sniper weapons. And we also use it, um, you know, vehicle mounted um, machine guns as well. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to get some brass and start cutting into it. 
see if I could make one myself. And I started messing around with it. I improved it. I made it better. And then, um, I asked my wife who had some successful, really small, um, online boutiques and startups. I said, Hey babe, can you help me start, you know, start a business? And, uh, she was like, let me take a look at it, do some market research. And, uh, she came back and she said, I think we should put this on Etsy. And I was, I was like, Etsy, what is Etsy? I had no idea what Etsy even was. I was like, why not eBay or something like I've, that I've heard of. And she's like, no, trust me, you know, Etsy's a good spot for this. And so she listed it there. And, uh, I was still in the military at that time. I was a, uh, what we call a VBSS instructor. So that's visit board search and see. So if, if you ever see the movies where commandos are taking down a ship or something like that on the high seas, that's what I was teaching and instructing. So I would do that during the day. We had two small kids. My wife had one, you know, internet startup that she was still working on. I had Acumen Performance Group that I was doing, and I was also starting Bottle Breacher. And so to say that we were, you know, busier than a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest, you know, was uh, definitely accurate. And uh, it was it was tough. It was brutal. But I remember feeling like a, a I, I felt like a magic uh, and an excitement when we, when we started this thing. Because honestly, you know, I think people find this crazy but my initial goal was to make $500 of revenue you know just for a date night or something i wasn't looking to blow this up into you know something crazy and uh within um you know our first month i think we did $375 in sales and then you know um you know 6 months later you know i think we had you know we were doing like $7500 in sales and i was blown away by even that i never thought we'd get even close to that and then uh about because of watching shark tank which we were not, we weren't, hadn't been on the show. We didn't know any of them. We were just two regular people, you know, starting a business out of our home. And, uh, I watched an episode where Mr. Wonderful, um, was ripping apart an entrepreneur for not having any brand recognition on the packaging of his or on the product. He had it on the packaging, but not on the product. And Kevin looks at the entrepreneur and he says, that's, that's a horrible decision. You know, as soon as this thing leaves the package, nobody knows, you know, who, what, what brand it belongs to. And then he, he kind of schooled him up on why it's important to build a brand while you're selling product. And, uh, so I looked at my wife sitting on the couch next to me and I was like, babe, we got to figure out, you heard Kevin, we got to figure out a way to get, um, our brand on each, each one of these units, these bottle openers that's leaving the garage. And so I started doing some research. My research led me to laser engraving. Um, I quickly found a used laser engraver, um, a couple hours up the road in, uh, Los Angeles. Um, within a week, you know, I went up there, tested it out, made sure it worked, made sure a knucklehead like me could operate it and use it. And then uh, I bought it and I came back and our sales went from $7,500 a month to $22,000 a month in just a month and a half time frame. So um, that's when that at that point I was like, okay, this is going to be something more than just supplemental income, you know, a fun little hobby for me. There's actually something here we've just got to figure out a way to, you know, blow it up, scale it, market it to more people. And with about, within about a year, you know, our sales were $80,000 a month. And, you know, I was pitching, you know, to be on Shark Tank. And so let's, uh, let's pause right there. Cause we, we've dangled the, the shark, Shark Tank carrot and, and we've gone from 
just a, an idea, right? Then we've gone to posting it on Etsy, which I think a lot of people, when they, you know, when they, when they think of Etsy, they think of very, very dainty, uh, feminine sort of um, products, right? You know, things to like tea cozies and and um, you know, like handcrafted things, and a lot of female buyers. And here we are talking about a fifty cal bottle opener now so so for those in the audience who don't know um, necessarily what you mean 50 cal right so 50 cal is a type of bullet what sort of size is this bullet like if you were holding it in your hand are we are we talking a tiny little tiny little bullet or are we talking about something a little bit more substantial no absolutely it's about i think five and a half to six inches long i don't know the exact measurement but it's a very good size bottle opener um bullet size um caliber so it's a it's a big round and you're right etsy is uh you know it is kind of a more targeted towards the female environment but i think that's one of the reasons it made it do so well because so many females were on that um site buying stuff for themselves for their girlfriends, et cetera. And they were like, oh, I can pick something up for my husband, you know, my dad, you know, my brother. And and so it just, my wife was right. You know, I, I, she it was one of the many times she's been right. So it worked out. And it's, and it's a good lesson there. And the reason I tee that up there is that is, is, it's those kind of assumptions that can kill us as entrepreneurs, right? It's those, those kind of assumptions. And the fact that you, you like immediately, um, just by the genius of your wife um, or the gut of your wife, whichever way you want to go, or a bit of both, um, found that actually um, there's enough wives and girlfriends and, and, and buyers out there that know their man, man well enough to be like, I am going to get some serious bonus points if I pick this badass looking thing up for my husband. Seriously, I'm going to, you know, like, you know, I'm going to go through the roof there in, in, in terms of um, his approval rating of me. Right. So, so, so we've, we've got this and we, we, we're going to get into it, um, into like where this stock is coming from a little bit later on, because, um, you know, Again, I mean, there's probably a reason why your buddy was only able to pick it up in the Philippines, right? It, you know, it, it's not easy to just pick up spent or otherwise 50 cal um, bullets. Are they still called bullets at that size? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i complete novice when it comes to this. They're still called bullets even when they're that big? Yes, they are. We're not talking shells. Yeah, there's a trans the shell later on, is it? Or Yeah, I mean, you could, you could really dissect ammunition and break it down to its actual components. So the bullet is the part that shoots out. Um, it's usually smaller. Um, the casing or shell is what holds the powder and the primer, which starts the uh, explosive chain. And so there's a bunch of parts that make up a bullet, but yeah, you're, you're in the ballpark. You're good, brother. It's all right. It's all right. I'm, I'm, ha I'm happy to be close enough, right? Like at least I'm not referring to it as I forget it, like a gun or a hammer or something like completely miles off. So we're, we're good. All right. So you 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 launched this. You were initially trying to just get enough funds to you know have a fancy date night, right? Cheers, honey. You know your recommendation has bought us this steak and lobster meal. Um, amazing. But you went significantly north of that, and 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 pretty darn quickly. And it seemed like one real point of of pivoting was when you you were able to start laser engraving. What kind of things were you engraving on the um, on, on the bullets at this stage right um good question so we were actually before before we were engraving we were actually using decals and stickers you know because once i saw once i saw guys at my work the first the first thing i did was i put a punisher sticker or decal on a black 50 cal bullet and the guys at my work 
just freaked out and they were they were like, Hey man, I want one for every guy in my family. Can you make it for Christmas? And, and when those guys were saying, Hey, I want, you know, give me five, give me 10. I was like, Oh, there's something to this, you know, may, I just need to figure out how to market it to other groups of guys. And so I started actually with, with decals, um, depending on what, you know, military unit you were in or what law enforcement group you were in or, what fire station you were at. I, th I thought it would do really well in, you know, smaller groups of, you know, guys that tended to have more masculine, you know, jobs. But what I found is that, you know, it didn't really matter because all guys, you know, have a, in my, in my opinion, have a dose or a bit of masculinity. Every single one of us does. We have a bit of masculinity in us. We all, most little boys at some point, you know, play army or, you know, play guns or something like that. And, uh, and so that that's what makes it cool is that it's a five and a half inch round that can open your beer and I can laser engrave your name or a special date or a groomsman, um, you know, name on the back of it. And so it's just, that's what made it so special. It was kind of like the perfect storm and it, you know, it happened to have a really cool story behind it. Absolutely. And, and a really authentic story, given given your background and your previous experience as well. Right. They're not they're not buying um, like, I don't know, knockoff ammunition. They're not they're not buying it from someone that has no idea what it represents or, or, or you know, the, the, the reason it exists. Right. It's coming from a really, really authentic source, which I think is definitely an important part um of the story so anyway so so going back to the story you, you you'd headed up to la you'd got yourself a laser engraver you you'd figured out how to use it you're back down and your your orders are now flooding in right now you you're bootstrapping this you had no plan for this kind of scale and now you've got um you know you're being hounded on um on on, on etsy in a good way by by your customers saying hey can you do this can you do this can you do this and you mentioned can you do this by Christmas? I mean, and you were still doing this yourself? Like, like how did you handle that, that kind of scale? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was great. Um, it was really tough, like I said, but it was great because what I was doing was as, as it got to the point where I couldn't do it all myself anymore, I started uh, recruiting um, other guys that were in the military that, you know, had jobs where they could come work at work for a couple hours uh, a day because the, the business was being run out of my garage, which was right next to my house. I had to pick guys that I trusted around my family. And so I, I had a lot of military guys and even some young men that I was kind of mentoring at the time come in and, you know, work a, you know, a couple hour shift here and there doing polishing and engraving packaging, you know, et cetera. And so, um, you know, that's kind of how it worked. And another cool part of the, the story, um, is that, uh, I actually had enough cash to buy the laser engraver just, you know, in a, uh, kind of like a, a nest egg or a savings account, if you will. Um, but what I did was I had a motorcycle at the time. It was a really cool motorcycle. And what I did was I went and I, and I loved riding this thing. I'm not talking about a, a motorcycle that just sat in the garage and collected cobwebs. I rode this thing all the time and I didn't want to risk any of our, you know, any of our savings or anything like that on an unknown or something. I didn't even know if it would work or if this machine would break down. So I ended up selling my motorcycle 
And uh, I took the, the, the sale or the cash and I went and I bought this laser engraver. So let, years later, I would read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And um, I found out what I actually did was I, you know, I uh, sold the liability and I bought an asset. And that was a really cool lesson for me to, you know, kind of stumble onto and then, you know, have somebody, uh, you know, that's been as successful as Robert Kiyosaki, you know, validate. And it, it just gave me, you know, I, I think the, uh, the experience and, um, to go and, and repeat that move m multiple times in business and try and buy up as many assets as I could. And uh, honestly, I bought a lot of assets that haven't end ended up working out, you know, like I wanted them to, but, you know, it just kind of like, as you're, as you're becoming this, you know, entrepreneur that you want to be, you know, just, um, building up you know, that, that knowledge base on, you know, how does this work? How can, you know, instead of launching one cool product, how, how do I launch multiple products and build a brand at the same time and take, take those proceeds and, you know, put them into something else that's going to continue to, you know, generate revenue for us. I love that. And I, I love that attitude. And, and actually that, I mean, that must have been heartbreaking at the time, right? To give away something, uh, to, to sell something that, that brings you so much joy. But obviously you believed in the vision and, and you know, like massive respect um, for you there that you had like the savings for you. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to risk the nest egg. I'd rather take something out that, you know, out of my, um, you know, my pocket, my, my, uh, liability pile to 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 fund the fund the business you're absolutely right yeah a lot of people would say hey you know i've got this sports car you know um house even that they're living in or whatever and and, and like you said you know and robert said it's a liability not an asset and so it's amazing that you then bought something that that was an asset that really began to kickstart your business speaking of we've got to the point now where you're you're making um 80k a month um from from this business and this show Shark Tank has has sprung to your mind again. Now, I I, I I've, I've not watched the show, but um, yeah, I've definitely been in the audience with Damon John and Kevin Harrington was the foreword um, on my book. Right, lots of lots of respect for those guys on there. And so you'd learn back back way back when that you you need to have your brand actually on the bullets, right? Because it it's not not good enough just to be on the packaging because people get rid of the packaging unless you're Apple. Um, they get rid of the packaging and, and, and now they're like, oh, where did I get that again? Uh, yeah, and, 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 and that's no good, right? You want to be, um, you know, at the forefront of their mind. But you're now hitting the 80K mark and now you're, you, now you're thinking about Shark Tank once again. And at some point you made the decision to like, hey, I want to be on TV, right? <laughs> can, you, can you tell us about that period of time and, and, and what, what led to that? Yeah, yeah. Um... So I love the show. I think a lot of people like, you know, the, those types of shows, whether it's Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, the one you were talking about earlier, do you guys have in the UK? I think people like watching those shows just because one, they like to see, um, they like to see underdogs go and do something really cool. They like to see that, oh, you know, they're starting this out of their garage or their kitchen. Maybe we could do something like that too. And it, it makes, it makes you feel good to know that, you know, somebody can, you know, you know, it's, it's inspirational. You can take something from nothing and turning it, turn it into something. And so, um, you know, like me and my wife, like I said, we had two small kids, we had, you know, three businesses between the two of us. And I was a, you know, a Navy SEAL instructor at the time. So we didn't have a lot of free time. 
But with the only break we really allowed ourselves to have besides, you know, taking a break to have a meal or to, you know, parent one of our children, um, we would watch Shark Tank, you know, every week that it would come out and we would watch reruns as well. And, you know, we would watch that show and we would, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself, man, if, you know, if we, if we could get on that show, I think we could kill it, you know? And, and I knew that, you know, I'd read, read some, you know, I'd done some research and read some articles that talked about the shark tank effect, like businesses because of that massive exposure, you know, 10, 12 million people seeing the product. It's like a massive commercial, you know, on national television that lasts, you know, can last from five to seven minutes. And, uh, the, the articles and the research that I was showing, showed that even if you didn't get a deal on the show, your business was, would grow by, you know, like 700% the following year. And so I was like, you know, that'd be some great exposure for us. And I think we have a product that would look good on TV. And we, unlike, you know, some businesses, you know, we have a phenomenal story behind it. So I think it's the perfect fit. And so, you know, I, uh, actually the first time I applied was, um, online, I, I sent in an email to their website, didn't hear anything back. And then, uh, cause they get like 40,000 applicants a year. And then, uh, you know, a, a couple months later I was, you know, working with a mentor of mine and I was telling him, I was like, man, I, I just have this feeling if we got on shark tank, we we'd do really well. And he, he said, you know, well, let's, let's do some research. So right there in his home office, we started, he started looking up, you know, how to get best ways to get on shark tank. And he, he found out that there was an open casting call, about a month later, you know, right down the street from my house in San Diego, California, he's like, Eli, you got to be at that casting call. And sure enough, I was. And, uh, you know, it was kind of cool because they put you in a room, you go into a room with like 500 people at a time and they tell you, Hey, um, you know, it's like most people don't, well, first of all, you have to wait in line the night before I got there at like midnight. I waited till one in the afternoon before I got a chance to pitch to somebody. So, you know, that, that, that eliminates a lot of people right there. But, um, you know, what I remember my pitch to the lady, you know, it wasn't really rehearsed or anything. And I just pulled up my phone. I showed her the Etsy app. I started scrolling through how many orders we had, you know, how many emails we had, how many requests we had and, and our, how many sales and how many, you know, how much we were doing a month and how much we were doing a year. And she was blown away. Cause I, I asked her, I said, would you be surprised if I told you that um, 15 minutes down the road, we're doing $80,000 a month out of a one car garage. And she was like, no way. And I showed it to her and I said, I showed her the product and I, um, a friend of mine, he was working on a, uh, a movie called American Sniper at the time. And, and I worked with Chris Kyle, he worked with Chris Kyle and Clint Eastwood was directing the movie at the time. And so my buddy asked me if I'd make bottle breachers for the entire cast. And I said, sure, I'd love to. And so, you know, he made one for Bradley Cooper. He made one for Clint and all the other actors. And he sent me a picture of Clint Eastwood holding up his bottle breacher with a big smile on his face. And so I had that picture and I said, you know, Clint Eastwood loves this thing. What do you think? Do you think your dad or your brother or your boyfriend would love it too? And she's like, oh, absolutely. They freak out over this thing. And so, you know, I, I left her with the box of uh, bottle breachers. I left her with, you know, the notes of, hey, these guys are making, you know, $80,000 a month right here in San Diego, what the story was. And that was on a Saturday, Monday morning at like 830 in the morning. I had an email in my inbox saying, hey, we loved it. Um, we want you to come back. We want you to make a video and come back and we want you to move on to the next round. And so that's kind of 
what started us um, in that pipeline. That's phenomenal. It's such such an amazing story. And by the way, um, American Sniper, absolutely incredible uh, movie. I remember I, I actually asked our mutual friend Sean as well about that, like the accuracy of that. And, you know, is that is that sort of made for Hollywood? Is that somewhere around real? And you know, he see he he, see, he was like, yeah, no, that's that. You know, it's it's, it's not bad, right? That's that that's pretty good for um, a movie. And um, yeah, Chris Carl, um, incredible story. I, I read his book before the movie. Um, like you know, a year or so before the movie, and yeah, just absolutely incredible story. The fact that you know that your 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 um, uh, your product is in the hands um, of Clint Eastwood and the and the cast around there that's 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 just mind blowing. I mean, that alone as well, you know, leveraging those kind of photos um, on the site would you know is 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 absolute gold dust. Um, like you said, you know, if you're just trying to convince your brother or your your dad that, that this is cool, it's pretty. Yeah. Just go. Well, yeah. By the way, here's Clint with it. So right. yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> Done. Nailed. All right. So, um, so you're on the show, and um, ultimately, Mark Cuban and Kevin O'Leary invested in your product. Was there any kind of back and forth? Any kind of friction, or were they just like, "I love it. I want in." Maybe they. Maybe they. Uh, um, Maybe they were fighting amongst themselves to be a part of your business. Right? Like, like what happened? Or, or can to save to save the story, if you like, can people find this episode? Where can they find this episode to watch it? Yeah, I think if you just Google um, "bottle breacher Shark Tank," you know, I think you know it'll come up. Um, it used to you used to be able to find the whole episode. Now I think they've got like a two or three minute spot that you can watch. I haven't looked in a while. It's been this was 2014. So it's been about six years. I haven't looked in a while to see if it's still up, but I'm sure you could find clips of it out there. And honestly, it was, um, we were surprised at, I don't want to say easy, but we were surprised, um, at how it, there was no, there were no real attacks on us, our company, what we were doing. It was actually really respectful. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there was, there was some back and forth. I think, um, you know, Dame and John, you know, he, he made an offer, but his offer had contingencies, um, uh, built in that I really didn't care for, you know, cause I didn't, I didn't know if we would be able to fulfill what he, what he wanted. Um, Kevin O'Leary actually made the first offer, which really surprised me. I thought he was going to say, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Let's take it behind the barn and shoot it. You know, like he says, um, but he actually made the first offer. He was really cool. And, uh, and then my original goal was to get Mark Cuban on board just because of, um, you know, how much he's done in his career, but also that he's, you know, touted as the tech guru on the show and we have an online business. So I thought he'd be able to help us out with a lot of, you know, technical things that neither of us were very good at. Um, and so, you know, it was just a, me and Jen walked out of the show out of the set and we both looked at each other and, you know, both of us were like, man, I'm, I'm surprised it was that easy. Um, and, and what we meant was we'd done a lot of preparation. We'd spent a lot of money preparing, but we were surprised that they didn't try and tear us apart. And so, you know, that was, uh, that was kind of cool. That is cool. And so you, you graduated through that, um, the, the, the growth happened. Now you've probably figured out this problem long before this. You're doing 80k a month, right? That that's there's a serious number of bullets being sold. But um, we touched upon it earlier on in the show. These kind of bullets aren't 
just lying around. And I imagine these these kind of bullets aren't very easy to buy if if at all possible. So right. you've this is this challenge. You've got thousands and thousands of customers wanting a fifty cal bullet bottle opener. Where like for anybody, I mean like this alone is an important and key part of your story, I think. Like for anybody wanting to make something that's a bit cool, a bit different, and and bootstrap it, right? They build it themselves, make it themselves. I've seen your videos like spray it up the cells. Like these these fifty cows don't look like they've been um, in battle. These are shiny, beautiful, glorious looking things. But it starts from somewhere. Where on earth do you get your hands on thousands and thousands of fifty cow bullets? Right. You know, so like a lot of entrepreneurs, um, you know, we uh, who are all we're always trying to risk mitigate. Right. We, we we don't we don't buy a thousand of something until we know we can sell five of it. Right. And so um, initially we were buying, you know, we were finding they're, they're called inert or dummy rounds online. Basically, that that means that they're they're no longer in use. Um, you know, they no longer have the explosive parts of them. I mean, you could throw it at somebody, you know, and hurt them because they're heavy, but they they don't blow up anymore. And so the first time I bought any of them, you know, these dummy rounds online, I I bought like 10 of them. I, I cut those up. I prototyped them and then I bought 20 and then, you know, I, then I started selling them, putting stickers on them. And before long, you know, we were buying, you know, a couple hundred at a time and then a thousand at a time. And then, then we figured out that we could actually, uh, there there's places that sell like thousands and thousands of them, you know, and it, where, where it's an auction and it's, you know, um, the government has these, these types of auctions, um, uh, with their army and Marine Corps bases when, when, when uh, soldiers and Marines shoot up a lot of brass, 50 cal brass, they'll pile it up, throw it in a big container, and then they'll auction it off by weight. And, you know, there's only, I don't know, there's probably only a handful of us that even do do this type of stuff. So you're basically bidding against, you know, the, the same people. And um, so that's where you know, as we've got, as we've gone on with it, it started just buying, you know, some online, you know, 10, 20 at a time. And over time, it's gone to where we're actually buying them from the military. That's so cool, right? And, and I imagine that's a key part of your story, right? The, the, the origins of these bullets and, and where, what they've done and, and how they've been used in a previous life, right? Before, you know, John has laid up on his couch, cracking open a beer using it right like there's there's some story there to to tell so so cool and i could talk about this forever um but at this point we've got to um mix it up in, in this particular episode and go into the rapid fire question round but before that where can people find out more about bottle breacher where can they find out more about you and get involved or or, or, or communicate with you in some form yeah you know people can find us on uh you know, Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook at, at bottle breacher. That's B O T T L E breacher, B R E A C H E R. Um, and then if they want to follow me, it's, uh, most of my social media is Eli crane underscore CEO. So those are places uh, you guys can find me. So bottle breacher on all of the socials and Eli crane underscore CEO. If they want to, um, get in touch with you and see what you're doing. Amazing. All right. 
So Eli, at this point in the show, what we do is we mix it up. We go into the rapid fire question round. I ask the questions quickly. You can take as long as you want to answer them. That is your prerogative. Are you up for it? I'm ready. Are you two thumbs up? Up for it. There are those thumbs. Nice one. All right. Question one. If you ever had to start again, how would you make your money? Oh, man. That's a, that's a good question. I probably, uh, I don't know. I'd probably, you know, make my money as like a shooting instructor or something like that because I like, I like doing it. Um, I'd probably start a, start a business around that, you know, so I could, you know, make it as big or as little as I wanted, work the hours that I want to work and uh, just do something that I, I enjoy doing. Nice. And are you, um, is there a particular kind of shooting that you would, you would teach? You know, I was a sniper in the SEAL teams, but I also enjoy, so I, I like doing long range shooting, but I also enjoy, um, you know, pistols, you know, carbines, rifles, you know, those type of things as well. Nice. Well, hopefully you'll never have to do that. You'll only, it'll, it'll be out of choice, right? Rather than the having to start again thing. Question two, right. what, what's the most common or biggest mistakes you see leaders making? Um, you know, I think, uh, I think some of the biggest mistakes that, you know, leaders make are, uh, because of arrogance and pride. A lot of times they're not willing to, uh, they're not willing to ask, ask their subordinates, ask their team, Hey, what do you think is going to work the best here? It's, it's all, it's all about their ego and they've got to, you know, that the answer or the solution has to originate from them, you know, to, to please their own ego. And so I think that's, that's a big one that I see a lot of leaders make where they're not, they're not able to joke around. They're not able to, you know, their, their staff, their team, their employees never get to develop a relationship with them. Um, and, and they never build any camaraderie because of their ego. And so I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I see leaders making. Who is a great leader, whether alive or dead and why? Oh man, that's a good one. That's a really good one. You know, I think um, I think Ronald Reagan was a pretty good leader here in the here in this country. You know, he uh, he showed that he could. You know, he showed that he could be successful in multiple arenas. Um, and I also I also like I also like leaders that aren't afraid to uh, go against the grain and not have everybody love them. You know, I think that's another thing that that, that we try and do as leaders because. You know, we, we like, like everybody else, we don't like to be made fun of. We don't like people criticizing us. And so a lot, a lot of times we'll just go, go with the flow instead of, you know, doing what we feel is right. So I like leaders that uh, typically have to face some opposition. Um, and, and I know he faced a lot of that. And so he's one of my favorites. Beautiful. How do you hire top talent? Oh man, that's, that's a good one. And I, I wish I had the, uh, the golden egg, the secret recipe on that, but I actually have a rule here and it's, it's more about expectation management, but, um, you know, my, my rule is, is that usually it's not going to be the first, you know, two or three people I hire, you know, uh, there's going to be a certain level of, um, you know, churn, if you will, or having to get rid of people and, you know, fire quickly if they're not, doing what you need them to do. And so, um, I, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't cracked the code on that one, but I think the thing that I try and do is have expectation management when I'm hiring new people and understanding, not fall in love with people, you know, that, that we hire because I realize they, there's a good chance they, they won't 
they won't be around in the future. How do you evaluate a good business deal? I, I would say I evaluate a good, I think a lot of it for me is instinct and then also bouncing, you know, um, the parameters off of uh, trusted advisors. How do you identify a good business partner? Um, I think this, I think the same way I try and get to know them. Um, I try and spend time with them. I try and watch how they treat people, especially people that they don't need anything from like a, like a waiter or a waitress. You know, if, if, if you don't, if, if they're not showing respect, you know, to, you know, people that they don't really need anything from, then there's a good chance that that, you know, that's a part of their character and that's going to extend into our business as well. Uh, you know, references, you know, talking to people um, who have done work, work in business with them in the past. Yeah, it's a fantastic answer. And, and yeah, I echo that one as well. Like you can learn so much from from scenarios where, like you said, like the waiter is a classic example, but you're out and about and um, you're hanging out. You're probably having a good time with, with someone you maybe recently met. And then, yeah, you might be in a restaurant or a bar or something. And, you yeah, and you just see like distinct lack of respect, like you said, from towards people that they don't necessarily need anything from. And I think, uh, yeah, I echo that. that. It tells you a lot about someone's character. Um, and so if you're the douchebag listening who, who mistreats the, uh, the waiting staff, folks, people are watching. That's right. What is one of your proudest moments? Oh, man. I think, I think one of my proudest moments was uh, becoming a SEAL. It took me uh, two times to make it through SEAL training. And so when I finally made it, it was, it's, I think it's a big deal, um, on its own, but for me, it was an even bigger deal because it took me five years and two attempts to become one. See, I, I think people hear a lot about, um, uh, buds and, and, and hell week and so on. For me, I think the, the, the first time or, or one of the, the first time that I, I sort of learned about it in any kind of real, like, like good detail was in in the book you can't hurt me Dave, by david goggins who i'm a massive fan of that guy a lot of respect for him um is there anything in there that you you think is a standout like if, you know people listening they go okay so it took you two attempts it you know it's obviously hard is there a particular part that you would highlight as as, as particularly how you found particularly hard well, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole, the whole pipeline is, it's geared that way. It's designed that way to be extremely hard, but you know, usually the fourth or fifth week in the actual training, you know, you mentioned hell week and, uh, that is just brutal. I've done a lot of stuff in my life. I've, I've been to war three times. Um, I've never done anything even close to that hard. And I think it's done that way for a reason. They, they want to figure out really quickly in a year, a year pipeline, like week four or five, whether you have real, real mental toughness, because, you know, once you get overseas and you're in a small group of guys and you're doing, you know, you're doing really bad things in really bad places and uh, people aren't, you know, people are playing for keeps. They're playing for blood. They're playing for, you know, take your life um it can get pretty pretty scary pretty quickly and you've got to know who's gonna who's who's gonna last who's gonna stick around who's not gonna run for the fences 
who's not, you know, who's going to be there for you. And, uh, so hell week, I mean, it, that, that, that's what it's designed to do to find out who are these, who are these guys that we can damn near try and kill. And these guys are not going to, they're not going anywhere. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to shoot at somebody and try and blow them up and try and flank them and, you know, and whatnot. But, you know, obviously our instructors can't do that to us. So what they do is they keep us awake for five and a half days straight and they just beat the snot out of us the entire time. You know, and not just with not just with physical exercise, but with um, you know cold water as well. I mean, you know, it's like you go to the you spend any time in the ocean, you'll know that you know most bodies of water, you know, big bodies of water, you know, they're not ninety five degrees. They don't feel like your bathtub, and you know, when you've been in you know low sixty degree water for you know, hours on hours on end, it feels like you're just jackhammering, shivering the entire time. And it's all strategic. It's all science. They know how long they can leave you in before people start getting hypothermia. And they, you know, they, they do it all week long, right up into the point of hypothermia, you know, and it's just constant and, and everything's a team race. They want to weed out the, the Rambo, the John Rambo mentality that, you're going to go and be effective in any battlefield by yourself because you're not. Um, and, and so it's, it's really cool when you look at just how strategic it is in building the, you know, the, the framework of the commandos that they want and, and they do it, they don't do it with a bunch of like, you know, technology. They do it with, uh, you know, some rubber boats, you know, some really cold water, some sand, um, and and some instructors who have real life experience who who know how far you can push the human body before it you know before it fails completely and so it's it, it's it's brutal i had to do it twice and uh i'm actually even though you know my body's you know not in great shape today um i'm grateful for it because it it kind of when you go through stuff like that it kind of changes the way you look at everything what i thought was hard back then is a, is a breeze today, you know, and what, what I thought was possible, you know, back then it's, you know, it's, it's just, it just completely, um, rearranges your mindset on what, what's possible and, you know, what you can do. Incredible. And, and it's no surprise that that's one of your proudest moments, like what incredible uh, accomplishment. Um, is it is it true that um, so the first time round did they greet you with a box of donuts or is that something like that like you know for the people that quit it's like hey we've got a warm seat you know some donuts here for you come and come and come and take them all you have to do is quit ring the bell is that true yeah that's one of the techniques that they use I mean it's I don't I don't know how I don't know how effective it is I mean I don't I don't see too many guys being like okay I'm gonna bail on my dreams for a donut. But it does, I think it does, you know, when, when you're, like I said, when you're cold, wet and shivering and you've been awake for, um, you know, several days, you know, you, you're start, a lot of people are starting to look for excuses, look for reasons because they're like, man, that this is awful. I've never been this miserable, this exhausted, and I've got another three days of this, you know? So I, I think it does, I think it's more humility humiliating than anything else but they they do they do tell you that hey i've got the heater on in here if anybody quits right now comes and rings the bell i've got you know some hot pizza i've got a blanket for a warm blanket for you and we'll take you back and throw you in the jacuzzi and so you know they do those type of 
or the, or they'll say, hey, we're not going to quit this evolution like surf torture, and you know, until we get a quitter, we're not we're not stopping until we get a quitter. And so they play all all these different types of mind games, and you just have to learn to block them all out because you know it doesn't it doesn't matter. You're not quitting no matter what, no matter what they say, no matter what they offer you. You know, and it's it's kind of funny when you get to when you get when you think about it, and then you get to watch it, and then sometimes you later on in your career, you get to participate in it on the other side as an instructor. It's, it's really cool to see how they, how they do it, how they actually, you know, like I said, how they expose weakness, but how they keep everybody safe in the midst of, you know, something that, you know, most human beings will never even come close to, you know, doing. What's one interesting fact about you that not many people would know? Um, you know, I'm, a I'm a man of faith. Uh, you know, I, I just, you know, it's, 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 it's really, my faith is really important to me. Um, believing that, um, you know, this story isn't about me. I think that that really affects the, the, the decisions that I make and the strategies that I form and how I live my life and I, what I want to be about. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's something that a lot of people don't know about me and you know legacy is really important to me um you know we're talking we're sitting here talking about entrepreneurship and it's great i love entrepreneurship i I think it's probably my favorite way to you know make money and be financially free and secure but it's not what drives me um you know i i tend to think about that you know my uh my eulogy and my death and my funeral and, you know, who's going to show up for it. What are they going to say about me? How, what kind of impact did I have on them? Did, you know, did I love them? Did I treat them with respect? You know, did anything I ever say encourage them when they were, when they, when they were down in the dumps, those are the things that really, you know, drive me more than anything else. And so it's also, you know, it's also why I live my life the way I do and why I spend my time the way I do. And so, um, I, I don't think, I think a lot of people see some surfacey stuff about me, but I don't think that uh, a lot of people know that that's what really, um, fuels me more than anything else. What daily routines do you have with a morning or evening that have helped make you successful? Yeah, I'd like to know, I like to know what's going on in the world. Um, so I definitely, uh, I'm kind of a news hound in the morning. It's one of the first things I do is I, I get up and I, uh, I read a lot about what's going on in the world, what's going on in the country, culture, politically. Um, also, um, you know, just some interest pieces as well. Um, then I go and I, you know, I, uh, usually fold the towels for my wife. She's always got a little chore for me to do before I leave in the morning. And then I go and I work out. And then I come into the office and I try and, uh, you know, try and make an impact while I'm here, whether it's creating something. Um, I still like, I, I love to design. I love to actually get my hands on stuff. I hate being behind a desk. As a matter of fact, when we're done with this, I'm going to get on the polishing wheel and, you know, you know, polish some stuff. And I'm actually excited about that. So, um, we're creating, we're creating some, t- some, some new products this morning. This is a prototype right here. It's a uh, 3d printed NASCAR tire. Nice. It's probably hard, but we were, we three three D printed it. We got a bottle opener in the back, so that's something I'm working on right now. Um, and then you know I usually try and get home for dinner because I've got two young girl young daughters, a uh, 13 year old and a nine year old, and I, I want them to know. Like I said, I want them to know 
I could stay at the office all day and find 50,000 things that need to be done, but I want my daughters to know that they're loved. They're more important to me than, you know, anything else. And, you know, I want to spend time with them, hear about how their day was. Every once in a while, my wife will let me help, you know, like teach them a class or something that she doesn't let me teach them math um, because I'm horrible at that. But, uh, you know, um, and then I, you know, I usually hang out with my wife for a little bit at night. Sometimes I write, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I do other stuff, but, you know, that's usually my day. Nice. What book or books changed your mindset or life? Um, Definitely the Bible being number one. Like I said, rich dad, poor dad, um, you know, from uh, an entrepreneurial standpoint, I think, um, you know, really, really played a big impact on me. And then a lot of, I, I read a lot of, uh, a lot of books as a young man coming up, um, you know, that were about other warriors and soldiers and special operators and Navy SEALs and their experiences in war. And that, that, that definitely played uh, a big role in my life um, because I, I was always fascinated by people that um, wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves and were willing to sacrifice um, their safety and even their lives, you know, for something bigger and other people. And so that, that, those, those type of books, um, you know, there's several of them. It sounds like you've read a couple of them yourself, but those, those type of books really made an impact on my life. What's the most exciting question you spend your time thinking about? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think, uh, what's my purpose here? I think, you know, I think that's probably the most exciting question that I, that I, that I dwell on and, and I want to get right. What advice would you give your younger self? Um, you know, I probably, I, I would probably, um, probably telling him to quit trying to take shortcuts all the time. I think shortcuts, you know, I think that there is a good byproduct of, you know, can be a good byproduct of shortcuts. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of us are trying to take shortcuts naturally just because we're trying to figure out, okay, how do I make the same type of product that that guy's making, but how do I shave off some of the production time and costs so that, you know, we can, um, you know, we can make more of a profit. So I think there is something good to, you know, a young man like myself that was always trying to take a shortcut, you know, but I was also very impatient. I didn't want to, you know, I, 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 and I didn't, I didn't enjoy the ride as much as I think I should have and, and just enjoy the process. And I think, if I could go back, I'd tell a young Eli, I'd say, Hey brother, this is going to turn out pretty cool. Really try and enjoy the process. Um, and, and try not to be impatient, you know, try to, uh, you know, and, and try and spend, you know, try and make every moment, every, you know, every day count because you, you only get one, you only get one round of this life. And, and I mean, if we, most of us, if we look back, we've wasted a lot of hours, a lot of days, and even a lot of years of our lives doing, you know, pointless, stupid, foolish, you know, stuff. And so I, I it wouldn't be one thing if I got to pull a young Eli aside and have a combo with him, it would be, uh, it'd be multiple hours. Um, what was your biggest challenge starting in business and how did you overcome it? 
You know, believe it or not, one of our biggest challenges was uh, the fact that my wife and I were working together. And I think that's, I think that's one of the most difficult things you can do. Um, you know, and uh, I think one of the, one of the ways that we, we figured out how, how we were going to work through it, we, we call it staying in our swim lanes. Um, but, you know, trusting each other to get their stuff done and not really micromanaging each other because it's as it, every every guy every gal out there that listens to your podcast knows you know relationships are difficult as they are i mean it's just you're you're living with you know somebody who's completely you know opposite of you typically normally and then you bring the stress of finances and um you know delegation and worries and unknowns into the relationship and it it spins out of control for most people really quick and so that's been one of the biggest challenges for us i love that and that's great advice generally with 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 business partners but i've, I've gone through that myself as well working working with your wife and you know you're spending like the entire day together as well right and and then right. i think one of the hardest things we found was actually separating it right so it's it's right. the evening you've clocked out if an email comes in, you know, it's not that it's, it's, this is relationship time, right? This is, this is husband and wife time. This isn't, you know, and conversations as well. It's very easy just to have conversations about work and forget to actually speak. And so I, I love that, that expression, staying in your swim lane. Um, you know, that, that applies not just to the, right. You're on operations, you're on marketing, but that, that actually applies to right tonight. The swim lane is relationship swim lane, not, not work swim lane as well love that what unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out oh man that's a good one i think you you might have stumped me there i don't, I don't know do you like to to um eat or drink yeah i mean there's a lot of things that i like to eat or drink but i don't know that many of them are that unusual i think they're most of them are pretty uh pretty pretty normal you know, you know, there, there is one thing there, there's an MRE that's a meal ready to eat. Okay. Now most people, most, most military guys joke about meal meals ready to eat and how bad they are. And you know how you can't, you know, have a bowel movement for a couple of days after you eat one, but I'll tell you what the beef stew is pretty damn good. So if you ever get a chance to eat a beef stew MRE, go for it. You're going to love it. We pick up one of those up at one of those auctions you talked about, like <laughs> something like <laughs> You can get them Army Navy surplus store. I don't know if you guys have those in the UK or not, but you can order MREs online too. So, oh, okay. And then final question, Eli, what makes you happiest? You know, I think what makes me, I think what makes me happiest is, uh, that, that question, you know, what is my purpose in this, in this world? And like I said, I figure, I feel like I have, I feel like I have my answer to that, that question. And just, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm here to glorify God and give glory and honor to him. And I feel like once you, once you figure that out, a lot of the stuff that, you know, we chase after, you know, whether it's materialism, you know, with the relationships, pride, um, you know, whatever it is, I feel like a lot of that stuff kind of takes, takes a back back seat. And, you know, so for me, it wasn't until I really figured that out that, uh, it, you know, things started, I've started, I guess I would say I, I 
I became really fulfilled. And so that's what makes me the most happy. Amazing. Well, Eli, that brings us to the end, almost to the end um, of the show. At this point, I'd like to ask you, do you have any asks or requests of the audience listening today? Yeah, I do actually. This is kind of, this is kind of cool. Um, so I, I've been working on a, a book about this for a while and it's, you're going to probably find this odd coming from me, but, um, the, the, the idea, I call it weaponizing your wound and, and, and what it is, is we all from the time we're young and coming up, we all have wounds in our past. We all have hurt and we all have harm things that a lot of us brush under the rug. Some of us medicate so we can't feel it anymore. You know, um, for many of us, it's different things. It could be neglect. It could be abuse. It could be a lot of different things. It could be abandonment. Uh, but every single one of your listeners ha has dealt with what I'm talking about in some way, shape or form. And, and I, I would challenge each and every one listening to this show to think back on something that has wounded you or harmed you or caused pain or tragedy or suffering in your life and look, look for a way to weaponize it. Look for a way to use that experience to bless somebody else with it. Whether you're, you come alongside them, you encourage them, you show them that, hey, this is how I got through this. These are some things I screwed up over here. The, I would recommend avoiding doing this, this, and this. But, you know, I, the, the people that inspire me the most are often people that I find are weaponizing their wounds and they're taking their story um, and they're taking things that probably should have destroyed them. And they've turned it into just a encouragement and a blessing to others. So I'd like to challenge everybody that listens to this podcast to find a way to weaponize your wounds. Fantastic. What an amazing answer to top off an amazing interview. Eli, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today for sharing um, the the description um, of your time um, becoming a Navy SEAL was was incredible, as was the um, what you went through in a very, very different way, what you went through to be on, on Shark Tank, but even just the humble origins and, and trusting your wife's gut enough to, to jump into um, Etsy to sell your motorbike, your pride and joy to launch something you believed in. And um, it is phenomenal. I encourage everybody in the audience to check out Bottle Breaches, bottlebreaches.com at Bottle Breaches on all the socials. There is some badass stuff. And we didn't even start talking about the grenades, folks. We only talked about 50 cal, but there's, there's grenades on there. I'm just going to dangle that. That's well worth checking out. But for now, Eli, once again, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, brother. God bless you, man. I appreciate it. Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.